We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. So the LA Rams will be the number two seed. They finish 13 and 3, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. And so have you. Yeah. It's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man go dominate. Boys, offense, defense, special team. Let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Hey, 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 welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek Ciapoli, your host tonight. It is a solo night. Mike got the night off and busy working on getting us some interviews. And quite frankly, I got to be honest, around Rams world right now, it's pretty dead. So we have another conundrum in the meantime. We did a bunch of tour around the league interviews, and I've been putting other content out. And all of a sudden, it's June 23rd. It's getting close to the season. We're one month away almost from training camp. 
and I still got stuff to give you guys. So tonight, we have two Toronto League visits. The first one is with Ken McCusick out there with the Russell Street Review for the Baltimore Ravens, one of our opponents this year, so you get an inside preview with them. And then also, later on, when it's all said and done, we'll be with Dennis Walsh from the Keep Pound End podcast, and he is for the Carolina Panthers. All right, before we get into it, we do want to let you know that, hey, we're sponsored by Jim Hawk and his Hollywood team. As to sponsor our episode tonight, we also remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. You can also find our podcast listed with Clutch Points. They feature an awesome app that puts loads of NBA and NFL information at your fingertips. Check them out at ClutchPoints.com or download the app. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes, which is now, by the way, I guess Apple Music really helps us out. And also, we provide a wide-ranging kind of schedule for our podcast. We have three different podcasts on our network for the Rams. They're all a little bit different. In case of Rams Uncensored, they're very different. These are our Average Joes, talk, who talk a lot of trash, or our Radar podcast. And I was just on last week, by the way. So, they're a lot of fun. Steve and Johnny, they're our young bucks. They have a great show that they talk a lot about the in-depth of the positions and so on and so forth. Plus, Johnny was at Rams Fest this weekend, talked to Rosie Greer. That interview will be out soon. You have us, and soon Norm Hightower will have his show on Breaking Down Film. It was great to have him back last week, wasn't it? And finally, we have a contest underway. We're trying to get to 205-star reviews on Apple Music. So if you leave a review, do us a favor. Go on over to our email. Send us an email at ransom1945 at gmail.com with a copy of your entry so we know who to enter. It needs to be a five-star review. And we'll also read your feedback on the show. The winner gets, again, a $75 gift to NFLshop.com. And if you don't want to give us that five-star, like you want us to earn it, something you want us to improve with, email us that too. Email us some feedback. We want to make this show better. We want to be the best, if not one of the best, Rams podcasts out there. So, hey, send it in. Okay, so without further ado, we want to present you with our interview with Ken McCusick from the Russell Street Report over the Baltimore Ravens. Check it out. Alright folks, I'm here with Ken McCusick from the Russell Street Report, the resident film study guy for the Russell Report. Always good talking to him, very knowledgeable on the Baltimore Ravens. Welcome to the show. Hey Derek, how's it going? It's a wonderful day, it's actually a pretty chilly day up here how's the things down there in baltimore real nice weather no complaints at all here no complaints all right well i you might have some complaints with the 2018 ravens and how things end but overall looking back on that team when did it become clear that the ravens were done with joe flacco you know i wasn't absolutely sure they were done with joe flacco until they announced that he would not be the starter when he came back um jackson played well but jackson's first five games were against statistically the worst five defenses in the entire NFL, and those were games that he he performed well in. The the offense certainly performed well, and they won week after week with a very consistent formula. Uh, you know, with the exception of the game at Kansas City, that where they did lose it in overtime, they they won with a very consistent formula of having many fewer snaps than the opposition, and sorry, many more snaps than the opposition on offense, and keeping their defense well-rested. They also substitute a lot on defense, which made them extremely potent. 
And then when they were on offense, they controlled the football game completely. They, they converted a high percentage of third downs. They moved the ball effectively. They had a very low-variance offense, which when you have a high average yards per play, which is, is worth more to start with, very nice to have a low-variance offense that can move the ball down the field easily in chunks. Uh, where you get variances from turnovers, which they had some of with the, with the fumbling problems Jackson had, and with uh, uh, you know incomplete strings of incomplete passes, which they had fewer of because the running game was so effective. So all that in mind, how confident are you now that Lamar Jackson is quarterback of the future? What did you see on film to show you that too? You know, there's a lot of things about his passing game that I'm still not sold on. Um, what he does do is just with one guy. He completely changes the dynamic of the run game and what they can do. Uh, they had a, they had a couple of things working in their favor that I think were were concurrent positives that put them in a position to make the playoff run. They did get us in the playoffs for a home game, which is very exciting. But uh, but I, it, the fact that they you know they were playing some some defenses who weren't that that weren't that great, and they really showed them up. Uh, Lamar did then go out and have a good game in San Diego, which was the big game towards clinching the, the playoff berth, uh, before they then lost at San Diego during the uh, during the playoffs. But as a, as a thrower, I'm still not sure about Jackson. He he could be not work as a as what he does for the running game. He's outstanding. He freezes those edge defenders. The Ravens then found ways to scheme to to move bodies inside. They get a lot of first contact opportunities in level two for the running back Gus Edwards, who had some of the greatest yards after contact numbers up the middle you'll ever see. And most of that was due to the fact that that first contact is happening with a safety or a linebacker and not with a defensive lineman. And if you get stood up by defensive lineman, that's when you get zero yards after contact. If It's when you when you hit a safety or, or hit a, a linebacker that misses a tackle, that's where you pile up yardage in, in, in yards after contact. So Edwards is just a very average big back. You know, they added Melvin Ingram in the offseason, and I think that that, uh, that certainly will help the running game. All that in mind, how does this fan base feel about John Harbaugh right now as your head coach? And I ask that because the last couple of years, something has seemed off about the Ravens. They haven't been quite the same team that you're used to seeing. And I'm also wondering if fans feel confident he can help develop Lamar Jackson. They, they missed the playoffs three straight years. I don't think the, the burden is on Harbaugh specifically to develop Jackson. I think that they have a quarterback coach they like in James Urban. They have offensive coordinator now that they really love in terms of Greg Roman. Baltimore's just, you know, loves the scheming he did and the layers of scheming to improve the run game last year in the stretch. I, I think that that those are the that's the brain trust given to the offense. Harbaugh's a special teams guy. They lost their special teams coordinator this year, so this will be a big year to see if that doesn't fall apart. And the defensive coordinator also very much beloved. So I, I think the coaching staff as a whole, I think they, um, uh, you know, they like the group they have. Now, what do you make of all the, the different arrivals and departures in free agency, and which decisions hurt the most? So you lost some guys, and mm-hmm. what were the best signs of the period? So obviously, C.J. Mosley is a is a big loss. Uh, it was a it was a contract they had to walk away from when the Jets paid him seventeen million a year for five years. I just can't see paying an inside linebacker that as good as he is. Uh, the Ravens have options internally. They had options in the draft that they didn't take. They did not take an inside linebacker. And they have, as yet, not signed an inside linebacker that's available from other teams. So one guy that's had a, some troubles in the past, obviously, is a, is a kind of a lack, locker room concern, would have been Zach Brown of the Redskins. So that would have been a guy that, that I would have been happy having as a transitional player in the middle until the next great linebacker can be developed. 
but uh, he's he was pretty good last year, and uh, and the Ravens obviously had some reason why they really didn't like him because he ended up signing for just one year, three million with the Eagles. So that uh, that's so cheap. The, the Ravens had a, a good reason not to do it. What were your best signings, though? Best signings. Okay, so they the, the big one obviously is uh, Earl Thomas. So they they let Weddle go. I don't know what they had in terms of plans to replace Weddle, but they 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 let him go and they and they signed. Thomas, uh, he's the biggest contract they've ever signed in free agency, four years, $55 million. And uh, he will give them the back-end coverage that I think they need. They have a great secondary in general. Uh, everyone does things very well in, the, in terms of the outside corners are both good. The slot corner is good. Jefferson is a terrific um, move-up and fill safety who can also cover a tight end where Jefferson's weakness is on the back end. He's not really a good cover two guy. And the, the team will be without that, but Thomas has been the NFL's most dominant cover one safety for you know most of the last decade. So that, that'll be exciting to see him uh, in a Ravens uniform. And I think that, that you know he, he really fills the greatest need at safety. Weddle had 10 interceptions in his first two years, but as he was the signal caller for much of last year, he was moving around a lot, and he and he kind of, I don't know, I don't know whether he wasn't up to his back end responsibilities or he, or what just wasn't performing as well. But he wasn't as effective on the back end. Had no interceptions. Uh, not as often was he right there in terms of bracket coverage. So I'm happy with the exchange. I think it was it was time. You know, Thomas is another older guy, so that has me concerned. And the Ravens are still in need to develop young back end talent. They. Um, they have one guy on the roster, a, a rookie last year, lost the whole season due to injury, Elliot, who is a, uh, a reasonable opportunity to develop there. So you mentioned, I wasn't going to because I, I had the questions to ask you, but you mentioned him, Eric Weddle. He signs with us over here with the Rams, mm-hmm. and you just mentioned you know he wasn't as good here as his last year of the team. What should we expect from him in a Rams uniform, and what were his strengths that you were able to see on film? You know, he's a, he's a leader, uh, did a great job of holding the defense together while Mosley was out. So Mosley missed game and a half, I think, uh, starting the Cincinnati game, then he missed the next week, I think, against Denver. He took over the signal calling duties at that point. It's been very rare in Ravens history that have anybody bought an inside linebacker calling signals. The first season, 1996, they did it. Then Ray got it. He kept it for basically the entire time until, uh, sorry, until he retired with a four-game playoff exception in 2008, a three-game playoff exception. And then there, there was a, uh, uh, other middle linebackers have had that role until Weddle got it uh, the second half of the Cincinnati game when Mosley was injured in that first half. So I think from that perspective, he does a good job of aligning other players around him, probably makes the other players around him a little better. I think that'll still be true. If you if you, if you go to camp at Rams camp, one thing you'll notice is Weddle watches camp like he's a coach already. He already he stands in a different place from the other players. Uh, you know, he's he's watching the play as if he's a safety on it. Um, he he uh, he's not exactly a Suggs presence in terms of having a booming voice that uh, uh, you can hear wherever he is on the field. But he'll occasionally talk up, and the offense was just falling apart in an early practice I was at last year, last year the year before, one of those two. And Weddle started talking about the you know, offense. He looked like the bad news bears here, so he's really, he's he's fairly uh, vocal about that kind of stuff. But generally, very much liked by his teammates. I don't think there'll be any problem there. 
Uh, and, you know, there is a question about whether or not he's going to provide the kind of value that the Rams need on the back end for this defense. And I think that's something you guys will be debating all year. Well, we saw him as we, we couldn't afford to keep Joyner. Joyner was too inconsistent back there, which you saying, well, you, you kind of put a little bit of inconsistency with, with Well, too. So I'm a little concerned about that. But at $6 mil a year compared to what Joyner was going to be getting, 10 11 mil a year, we felt for a couple of years it was worthy of exchange, especially since they took Rap in the second round to kind of develop behind him. So that's what we're hoping for and mm-hmm. banking on. Now, if it doesn't work out, it could really be a one-year deal. So we'll see. We, we need Well to step up. Yeah, that, that could that could actually be working out what it looks like because a lot of veteran deals that are two year deals, they end up being one year deals anyway. But it could be if if the guy you do, you want develops right behind him, then you're you're fine with it being a one year deal and releasing him on the expensive second year. How did you rate the Ravens draft and did they fill the holes they needed to fill? I just I caught you say linebacker, so we'll throw that one out. But everything else. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't get the linebacker they wanted. Um, we just, in fact, did a panel podcast last night with some offensive line guys I really respect, and we talked about Ben Powers, uh, who was a guy they picked in the fourth round. We like him as the low, lone addition to the offensive line. He's an interior offensive lineman. He'll probably play left guard for the Ravens at least initially. He might end up at right guard uh, when Yonder retires, which hopefully won't happen until after the 2020 season at the earliest. Uh, but anyway, the the uh, we like that pick. They got a uh, a pass rusher who we certainly hope is the guy in the third round. They got him very cheap, in fact, at number eighty three. I think it was. Uh, that's Jalen Ferguson, who holds the the um, NCAA sack record now, uh, broke Terrell Suggs' record. And so he's he hopefully will be the real deal. We're gonna we're gonna see a lot about him uh, coming up. He, he does not have the best measurables. So he, it, that was a tape over measurables pick. Um, the, the Ravens did really well with that with Orlando Brown last year, a guy who had an awful combine, historically bad combine mm-hmm. in, ter- in terms of what he could do. But he, but he turned out to be a hell of a right tackle just in his rookie year. And he's a lifer in terms of his commitment to football. His dad was in it. And, and you know, he's just he's intense about football, and you can definitely see that. So I, I like the fact that they picked another guy who was a, a tape over measurables guy. The third round pick, oh, we didn't talk about the first round. The first round was Hollywood Brown, who is a, a receiver from Oklahoma, smallish guy, 5'9", 166. I, doesn't really thrill me as the first round pick. Also, was the first receiver off the board. We'll see. He's going to really have to deliver on a lot of the elusiveness. So the guy who, who you know, was signed by the Rams a few years, it was Taylon Austin, who he yes. kind of reminds me of in, in terms of, yeah, he hasn't been a terrible NFL player by any by any stretch, but I think also he really hasn't lived up to exactly what you want out of your first round pick. He never did, and yeah. he. But in fairness to your guy, Tavon never really learned the schemes very well. He mm-hmm. never really picked up on on an offense, and so that's not really an ability thing. And that's do you know the playbook? Do you do you practice it well? And so, who knows? I mean, I would hope that coming from Oklahoma and the kind of offense they ran there, that your guy, Mr. Brown, will do just fine. Well, yeah, certainly there's a lot of Oklahoma talent being reassembled with the Ravens. They're, they're like, Oklahoma is the new Alabama. Ozzie Newsom always drafted a lot of Alabama guys. But, uh, you know, they have Mark Andrews, the tight end, and uh, Orlando Brown, the right tackle from last year. Orlando Brown actually went to Ben Powers' draft party 
and was there when the Ravens gave him the call to say they're going to they're going to have him play on the same line with with Orlando. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, uh, they also drafted Marquise Brown to, with their first round pick. So Oklahoma well represented. And they got Oklahoma State guy at running back as well, Justice Hill uh, in the fourth. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. like him. I, I look back at the Orlando Brown pick, and I, I really feel like he got the raw end of the deal here. He was a guy to me that they were so worried about all the measurables that you just basically killed this guy's draft value to the point where he was out of the first round and so on and so forth. I, I feel bad for him, but is at least he landed with the Ravens. At least he landed with the team that his dad played for, and you know, it's, of all places, probably where he wanted to play. So good for him. <laughs> He's lost some first-round money in the deal, but Orlando Brown's going to have a fine career. And he had a good rookie year. I scored the offensive line play, of course. And that's one of the things I really liked was the fact that he that he stepped up, had a big first year. For some reason, and I cannot figure it out, they didn't give him the starting right tackle job until James Hurst got hurt. Now, Hurst didn't play terribly um, during those first few weeks, but he had a lot of help. And Brown came in, and he was, you know, just a, a cut above in terms of nastiness and ability to move bodies, and the, and even the just basic pass blocking ability was was at a higher level than Hurst. Oh, geez, why took him so long? Okay, mm-hmm. so looking at now the AFC North, where do you see the Ravens ranking on paper, and how many wins can you kind of pencil in at this point? Yeah, I, I don't like penciling in wins. I'd say they're probably the second best team in the division behind the Browns. Uh, the Browns are clearly the team to beat this year. I think the Steelers are in decline. Uh, you know the Steelers and Ravens may be a close match for uh, which is the second best team in the division. One of the things I like about Lamar Jackson, and I, you know, I know you asked me this question earlier, and this is when I should have probably answered it, but I'm going to go back anyway. He's done a tremendous amount of work this offense off season with receivers on the team and with with a quarterbacks coach. So the Ravens can't force him to do that. Ravens are limited in terms of the number of practice days per year they get to work with him. But he's held his own camps. And he's had other receivers like Jordan Lasley, who didn't play last year but was a rookie, uh, down with him working, uh, you know, to, to throw to. I'm I'm loving that that is happening. Um, you know, that his priorities in the right place, and I, I think that's the best indication that he might improve as a passer. Awesome. Okay, Ken, where can people find you? And it, it, most importantly, where can they find your film study work? Okay, well, we've got two, two places. First of all, catch up to me on Twitter, at Film Study Ravens. Love to have you uh, in the conversation. Uh, we have some great analysts who follow me, and, and it's a lot of fun to, to stoke the conversation. Um, so that's the first place. Second place is on, on Russell Street Report, and uh, the column name is Film Study. There's a big archive of work out there. Follow the offensive line player, the regular reports on the defense uh, during the regular season. All right, hey, we'll be in touch come Ravens and Rams time this year. I'll be out there. It's going to be a... Oh, you're going to the game? Yep. Outstanding. Be there early because that place is bananas, especially for parking. <laughs> bananas. It's not I'll really made for the NFL anymore. All right. <laughs> thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate your time, and we'll be talking soon. Thanks, sir. All right. So uh, the, the Ravens game is interesting to me this year. I don't know what to expect from the Ravens. I'm not so on Lamar Jackson. I don't know how far his development will take us. I can tell you that it's a home game. It's a primetime game. It's also, to me, a trap game. So pay close attention to the Ravens this year. Let's see how they do. They, in my opinion, can finish anywhere from first to third in the AFC North. The Browns are going to be a problem for them. The Steelers are always going to be a problem for them. And the Bengals, well, they're the Bengals. So, okay. Also, 
We are again, we're sponsored by Jim Hawkins' book, Hollywood Team. Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about Rams history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawks' book, Hollywood Team Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams, the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out a son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, Glamour and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Church, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawks' book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available both in hardback and electronic form at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And don't forget, it's out in paperback this September 6th. Folks, I've read this book cover to cover. It's for a great cause. This is Homeboy Industries, a organization in LA that provides help for people coming trying to get out of the gang life and making them productive members of society again so on all sides this is a great opportunity to make a difference check it out Hollywood seeing grit glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk it's worth your time it's a great read okay folks our last section today our last segment today is our interview with Dennis Walsh from the Keep Pounding Podcast. And he brings us a look at the Carolina Panthers, their offseason, and everything we can expect heading into next year. Check it out. All right, folks, I'm here with Dennis Walsh from the Keep Pounding Podcast covering the Carolina Panthers. Dennis, it's been a couple months. How you doing, man? Doing well, man. Good to talk to you again. Good to see you. I'm hoping uh, you've you've gotten over the uh, the big game. Unfortunately, I, I've been there before. Well, I, I actually it's not. I was bummed. I was upset. But to be honest, the way they lost, they just got beat. I couldn't be too broken about it. when you get. It's different if you lose by a heartbreaking field goal or you get screwed. Like you feel like you got screwed the first time around against the Patriots. This time the Patriots just beat us. There's just no way around it. They they won the game, and I don't have an argument for that. Yeah, that's. Good. I think the only thing that you could get hung up on is that that missed pass by Goff. But yeah, it was just a coaching this and O's game, you know. I can, but you know what? The mis- meetings, the, like the we do. Was, well, he was under pressure. There was a lot of things going on in that game. Yeah, and I'm I'm not going to be a Saints fan and get mad about that missed pass interference either. Yeah, well, that's good. We can agree on that. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that one. All right. So talk about your team, though. Is it safe to say that the 2018 Carolina Panthers were were disappointing? What happened to such a promising season? Um, I mean, I mean disappointing in the sense that, I mean, it's clear that it it, it sounds like an excuse, but it, it really was. It really did come down to Cam, mostly. Um, a few other things, but you know, when you get a quarterback that can't throw the ball 20 yards, um, you're going to have problems, and... You know, that T.J. Watt hit, that Steelers game kind of exposed a lot of things, not only just the offense, but the defense. And, you know, I think the, I think the Panthers were just trying to do too many things last year at once. And, and what I mean by that is that they're looking at that NFL kind of deep field threat, speedy guys on the outside, but they don't have the line to hold, you know, for those routes to actually work. So uh, I think I think kind of chicken before the egg thing, you need an offensive line before people like Curtis Samuel and D.J. Moore are going to be really downfield threats and, uh, Hopefully they address that this offseason. So, so what were some of the major holes in the roster entering the offseason? So, so the pass rush w- was a big one. I mean, the Panthers were down the bottom. I don't have the exact number, but down the bottom of the league in QB hits and uh, just getting to the quarterback period. And, and I think that exposed the uh, the secondary a little bit. It was kind of unfair to them when you got some good players out there. You know, James Bradbury, Eric Reed, Dante Jackson started off the year awesome. But you know how it is. If you can't get to the quarterback, those receivers are going to get open. So 
I think they took a little bit of the brunt of it. But, I mean, the biggest thing this year was pass rush. Julius Peppers retiring as well. Um, and they went right for it with Brian Burns. They, they went for that with their first pick. Uh, I think getting to the quarterback is the, uh, is the number one thing for that defense. And then, you know, they, they did have, when you say it was disappointing, you know, the disappointment started kind of before the season in the sense of um, Ross Cockrell. <laughs> no one thought that that would be a big piece to the secondary. But when you don't have great depth, you, you know, as you get injuries, things get much, much worse as it goes down. And I think that's what happened with the Panthers. Um, and now him, you know, ha- actually having a season on the Panthers going into that secondary, I think is, uh, will give them a fair look as well. So yeah, biggest holes were, um, I guess safety. They're still looking for that. Just released to Norris Cersei, uh, yesterday. Everyone thought Trey Boston signing was coming today. Eric Berry. We don't really know, um, if they're going to roll with Rashawn Galden, who they drafted last year, but didn't use at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been talking about using him as a nickel or a safety so I think who is beside Eric Reed was one of the biggest holes, and then who's rushing the quarterback, which I think Brian Burns does address that. And then, of course, the offensive line, they did go out and sign Matt Paradis from Denver and drafted Greg Little. So um, not many holes in the Panthers. I mean, I think their season, their record was, uh, wasn't really a fair indication of how good of a team they were. Um, just too many things happened at once. Kind of a perfect storm of things led to that 7-9 and nine skid at the end of the season after starting with uh, six wins. Okay, so you just kind of gave an overview of where I was going next, free agency, draft. Let's get a little bit deeper into the, the full comings and goings. What were what, what, did the, what did the Panthers do in this free agency period overall? What were their focuses as a total roster build? Yeah. And what were their best and worst moves and all that? Yeah, sorry if I jumped too far ahead. But, uh, you know, for a team that's not generally active in free agency, I would say the Panthers really surprised um, their fan base this year. I mean, there were a lot of moves just to go down some of the big ones. I mean, they cut Mike Adams. They made the tough cut on TD, Thomas Davis, um, cut Captain Munderlin, who I think was a kind of a liability out there in the secondary. Um, Julius Peppers retired. They cut Devin Funches, who I think that's going to come back on Cam because I don't think Devin Funches is a bad receiver. Um, I just think being the number one in Carolina just isn't isn't the spot for him. And, and I think that when he goes to Indy and plays with Andrew Luck and has T.Y. Hilton alongside him, I think he's going to have some success, and you're going to hear the Andrew Luck versus Cam comparisons. And I'm totally fine. I'm totally cool with that. I mean, I expect Devin Funches to be pretty good this year, but I also agree with um, this might not be, you know, being the team for him. And the final one that surprised us all was, was cutting, the, cutting the weight on uh, Matt Khalil. Saving, I mean, saving a little money there, but just wasn't getting it done, didn't play it all last year. A terrible signing by Dave Gettleman. Um, just getting that behind them and, and moving forward now with Greg Little. Um, oh, yeah. but, but some, Interesting Dave Gettleman. I'm thinking, wow, those <laughs> Giants. <laughs> yeah, those days are behind us, thankfully. But, uh, but you know, the Panthers did go out and sign some surprising names. I mean, the one that kind of floored me was Chris Hogan here from New England. You know, me being here in Boston, um, that kind of came out of nowhere. And one thing that I think that I at least... This is my opinion. I think Chris Hogan is a, is a really sneaky deep threat. And, you know, everyone talks about Torrey Smith being a guy that can stretch the field a little bit for the Panthers. I think Chris Hogan could just jump right into that spot and, and be the deep guy for the Panthers, as, as well as Curtis Samuel. And uh, uh, I don't know if DJ Moore is really a deep guy, but they also went and signed Bruce Irvin. I mean, I, I, I wanted Bruce Irvin last year. A lot of people say that his best years are behind him. Um, when, when you're the worst at getting to the quarterback in the league 
signing Bruce Irvin, I don't care. I'm going to get excited for that. I think that um, I think that he does have a spot here. And one thing we didn't talk about, Derek, is the big talk in Carolina is the switch finally from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And um, signing uh, or bringing in these guys like Brian Burns, Bruce Irvin, you start seeing the kind of guy they want, that that you know edge rusher versus just a standard big defensive end, you know. And um, I think they got it. Who's going to be your nose? Kyle Love. How you or, about or, that? I, or I guess Vernon Butler for, for one more year could, could play that as well. But, uh, yeah, Kyle Love, I think, is an underrated nose, especially, you know, coming from New England. He's played in that defense, take up a lot of blockers. And I know he's not a, uh, you know, a popular name if you want to look at huge, you know, nose tackles in the league. But I think Kyle Love can do it. He hasn't really, he played very well last year in, in a 4-3. But um, right now he is their guy. They, of course, brought, uh, going back through, they signed him as well this year. For that uh, they of course brought Eric Reed back uh, as well in there too. So, how do you feel about the draft overall? Well, how would you grade it? What do you think they did to address the positions of need? So the, the thing about the draft, the thing about the draft is there are some Panthers fans who went into that draft with like the mentality of we have to get the best offensive tackle in the first round, and I, I had a, I had the Panthers actually take an Andre Dillard who went to the Eagles um, later, but mostly because Brian, I thought Brian Burns would be off the board. My thinking was you need a left tackle so badly that you should get it in the first round because you can get some more edge rushers later. Well, what happened was the draft board started falling very well in their favor, and Brian Burns was there at 16. So to me, I, they played with fire a little bit because t- two of their top guys were Brian Burns and Greg Little. They actually had Greg Little as one of their top guys at pick 16, um, or you know, as the months as months came up to the draft. So Brian Burns was there. I think he was their number one guy. They took him at 16, and to me, that was them, you know, playing a little bit with fire. But they could afford to do that because the board was falling so well. There were still so many offensive tackles that I thought a lot of people think would have been gone, you know, much before the second round. So um, as the second round came, their guy Greg Little was still on the board. They did have to trade up 10 spots to get him. But, you know, when you look at those first two picks, I think those two guys were two players that they, they would have taken at 16. Now, if, you know, you might have a different opinion. Other people say that, you know, you should have took this guy and this guy. But their two guys were Brian Burns and Greg Little. So the fact that they got them both, they did have to give up the 77th pick. But... Um, I was very, uh, very happy with that personally because I think that those two guys are people they liked, people they wanted, and they got them. So, well, if if you're getting a guy you had marked for first round at 16, and you're giving up a 77 for it and moving back, you know, I think that's worth it. Yeah, in the end of the day, I do. They got what they wanted. They had to give up a little bit, but that's that's life sometimes, you know, and that's how the draft works. That's what makes it so exciting. Um. The big controversial one, though, is the third pick. <laughs> Will Greer has certainly uh, stirred up a lot of controversy here in uh, here in Boston. I don't know when, I'm not in Charlotte, but here in Panther Nation, as you will, um, as to you know, Cam's never had a quarterback competition here in in Carolina, and with that injury, you do have a guy coming out of college who's played great, third round pick, uh, right on his heels, and I think that. Uh, a healthy, Cam, like I said, my, my quote was a healthy Cam Newton wins that race every time. But if you get a, if you, if that shoulder really isn't right, 
you know, where does Will Greer come into play there? But e- either way, getting Will Greer in the third round is an awesome value. I mean, you know, Patriots have taken quarterbacks, many quarterbacks under Tom Brady. Can never have too many good players at one position, as a uh, Dave Gettleman quote. But um, I- I'm okay with it. I-, I really didn't think they would do it, <laughs> but they did. And, and now, you know, if, if you do run into what happened last year and that, that seven and nine season, start off six wins, your quarterback can't throw the ball. You don't have you don't have Kyle Allen coming in. You, you have Will Greer, who I think, you know, can run that offense a little better. You know, everyone uses the Eagles, the Eagles uh, example as, uh, you know, Nick Foles and Wentz. So, yeah, I guess you can't be mad about having a good quarterback. So, well, that takes me to this. Can the Panthers compete for a playoff spot this year? And where do you rank them both in the NFC and the NFC South at this point? It's the hardest thing, you know. I always say in that division, man, you got the Saints in your division. I, th- I, I would think most people would put the Saints as uh, at least their top, at least top three in the league, if not top two, if not top one. So I, I can't, I can't go in here again and say that the Panthers will win the NFC South. Um, the NFC is is really stacking up though. So I used to, I used to think they could always get in with the wild card, but. Um, you know, just using last year as as the six the the first half of the season, the Panthers were were one of the better teams in the league. Cam Newton was in discussion uh, for MVP. He had a couple unbelievable games in that first six wins or whatever. And you know, I think that I don't think that they needed a lot. More. I think they just needed a few more things. And I think that this offseason has gotten them that a possession receiver and Chris Hogan, a couple seconds to throw the ball, uh, um, a um, a Ryan Khalil, the center replacement, because he retired with Matt Paradis, who might be even be an upgrade there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and letting some of those offensive um, tackles and guards play their true positions. Um, McCaffrey, you know, don't need to say anything about Christian McCaffrey. DJ Moore coming into his second year. But on the other side of the ball, you know, one thing that everyone talks about Cam not being able to throw the ball and all that. I mean, the Panthers' defense was the worst in the league in letting up third and 15 or more. And, and that just shows how little they could get to the quarterback. So with people like Bruce Irvin with Brian Burns uh, and then hopefully a safety to lock that down, I think the Panthers' defense can take a huge step up. And I, I do think that they can at least be right on the heels with the Saints and, and if not, challenge them for that NFC South. I'm not going to say they'll win it. Um, I, I do think that they can grab a, wi- a wild card this year, though. All right. Well, how many wins? How, how many do you have for them? I, I'll put them at 10. 10. All right. So How do you feel about that? Because we, we started off with you guys, Derek. Yeah, and, you know, I don't have a real great feeling about that game. I don't, I don't like, go on the road for that. A good, um, a good point there in the sense that, you know, you have a lot of new shuffling in, in Los Angeles, and getting them on their first game it might be a good spot for the Panthers. That's what you said, right? Well, it is. And I think it is because right now what the Rams like to do is rest those veterans all through preseason. They don't like to play many snaps. So now having to go on the road against the Panthers as opposed to a team like the Raiders last year. I'm not sure how you feel about sitting all those guys all through training camp again. And then you, then yeah. after that, they have the Saints at home. So I would be nervous about if I'm the Rams about doing the same thing they did last year by sitting your stars for all four games and then trying to come in on the other side of the country against a very talented team. Yeah, and when you look at the Panthers, I mean, they have, like, look, their two draft picks are in two big need positions. I don't think, you know, going into this season, this is going to be a thing where those rookies are going to need to see the field in the preseason. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of worrisome, but it's also a good thing, like you're saying, you don't want them to not play. 
And we hit the ground running, too. I mean, Carolina's got L.A. at home. And then a couple days later, we get the Bucks on Thursday night, second week of the season, big divisional game. So, and the Bucks will be better. They should be. We'll see. Yeah. Well, they were. They. I'll say it now. There was a lot of talent on that team last year, and they just didn't quite have everything. So, they should be better. Yeah. That once Jameis came back in, they were actually a much better team. So, we'll see. All right, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on. Again, let people know they can reach you. Check out your podcast and all that jazz. Yeah, we're uh, we're on the riotreport.com. Also, uh, keep pounding podcast over on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you want to uh, get your podcast. We also do the show um, live in a video format, so that's over on the riotreport.com. And uh, I'm at keep pounding on all the social networks. So you're, you're going to give them the Friday advisory, right? The Friday advisory mean don't don't do the video thing, don't watch the video thing unless you want to see naked men running across. <laughs> I was like, what's the Friday advisory? I like that, Derek. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, but hey, we'll, we'll be we'll be meeting up again week one. You're, you're going to come on our show, huh? And uh, you'll be coming over here, I would assume, right? There you go. We'll, we'll do some double duty. I like All right, that. You got it. All right, you have a great one, man. Hey, you too. Thanks, Derek. All right, thanks a lot. All right, folks. I got to tell you, I am worried about that first game of the year. I'm worried about the Panthers. They are still talented. Cam Newton, when he's on, is one of the best. Their defense is going to be better. Their offense has some question marks. But if they answer those question marks, and Christian McCaffrey, by the way, is dangerous. Cam Newton, again, and we've just mentioned him. I don't know how the Rams are going to set up for this. Are they going to come this game much more prepared than they were last year? The Raiders, the Raiders... Nobody's them to do anything. The, the Rams kind of loafed it through the first half before they put them away. They can't, in my opinion, just rest stars all the way through this time. They have to be ready. So let's see how the Rams prepare for this challenge because the week after that, they have the Saints. Okay, it's time for us to get out of here. Before we do, if you want to sponsor us, if you are interested in doing some advertising with us, reach out to us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Also, don't forget to check out our other podcast, which is Talking Halos for the Angels. We're still working on the Dodgers one. Haven't given up on that one. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash RamsTalk. We also have a group, Rams Talk Room. You'll find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. And don't forget us on Apple, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, all those places. Oh, and iebeatradio.com plays our show on Sundays and Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So for the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Apollo saying take it easy. We'll talk to you midweek. Have a great one. We're out of here. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.